Good morning. Scripture this morning is 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 22, and can be found on page 9 of your worship folder. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But it's good to have you here with us today on Easter morning. Um, I've only recently discovered something about myself. I actually fought against it for years, believing that it would be just way too nerdy for me to admit it. But recently, in the last few years, I've discovered I am, in fact, a huge science fiction fan. I, I actually didn't know that, uh, or I did know it, but I didn't want to admit it to myself. And so, and then I would begin to think about kind of what genre of books, what genre of movies I liked, and I began to realize a lot of them have to do with science fiction. Now, it could be space science fiction, like when it comes to Star Wars and all the multiple universes that that plays out in. It, it, it could uh, be uh, sort of uh, um, magic, sort of uh, uh, where I'm reading this great author that's a detective who he ends up being a, a a, a, a wizard, and it's very strange, and it's in, in London, and it, it, his dad was a jazz artist. It's really cool. Um, but, but, but I figured that actually the genre that I like the most, that I really kind of enjoy watching in science fiction, is that which takes a historical event and says, what does it look like, or what is it like if it happened differently, if something changed? Now, um, how this came to be a realization for me was I was watching a show called The Man in the High Castle. And it's actually about if, if, if Germany and Japan had won World War II. And it splits the United States, happens to be my passport country in case you didn't know, uh, and splits it in half and they're separated between Japan ruling the West Coast and Nazi Germany ruling the East Coast. And there's this little middle ground and kind of, there's, there's all sorts of things and intricate details that go into that. But it's just sort of like, what would happen like if that went on? Well, in this church in Corinth, there are people who are preaching and teaching that the resurrection didn't happen. 
In some sense, they're saying, if this didn't happen, what would our world be like? They're actually pushing in. And so Paul, in writing this church in Corinth, is saying, look, we need to get some things situated and set straight. So spoiler alert, I and those of us who are walking mostly in this church, and I believe, I want to say everybody, we believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an actual historical event that took place. We put our trust and our hope in that. We know it to be real. In this church, not far removed, granted, from the resurrection, there are those who are already saying, perhaps Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. And when that's taking place, Paul says, wait a minute, we need to get some things understood. And that's the passage that we're at here at this moment as he's wrapping up the book. He's just talked about why it's important for the resurrection to happen. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, the very first part, he lays out what the gospel is. N.T. Wright, in his book, The Day the Revolution Began, which is about the crucifixion and the resurrection, builds the whole of the book off this little part of this passage, the very beginning of this, where he says, this is what the gospel is. Let me read it to you. Listen, Paul saying this to the church in Corinth. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to this word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, for I delivered to you of first importance what I had received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scripture and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12 and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. So go talk to them. (laughs) Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last to me, as one who was untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy of being called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Then he goes on and says to them this information about why it is good for us to believe in a historic, actual, truth-shattering, truth-affirming event. Now I want you to close your eyes. I know that's dangerous on a Sunday morning because you might fall asleep. But I'm hopeful that you'll let these words wash over you as I read them again. Listen to his argument. But if I preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? (laughs) If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, When we are then found to be false witnesses of God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ 
We of all people must be pitied. Now, see, Paul is saying to those folks, look, if Christ, in fact, is not dead, the first thing that we discover about ourselves is that we are bearing false witness, that that we're a bunch of liars. And then if that be the case, then we also need to recognize that we are those who should be pitied in this world. Why? Because we rely on the resurrection as the focus of our hope. He says we should be those who are pitied because we have no reason to hope. In this world that is chaotic, in this world that's destruction, he's writing to the Corinth church who is being overpowered, seen by those from Rome as those who are outside of their Uh, what they want them to do. The people that are Jewish in that Corinth church around them are saying, why are you going in this weird way? And they say, we don't have hope if we don't have the resurrection. (laughs) More than that, what we say every Sunday, not then, every Sunday, is worthless. And your faith is invalid. If the resurrection is not true, truth, then all those things break down. But if it is true, then we have a God who tells a story of his steadfast love that we can trust in. If, in fact, the resurrection is true, we have a place to put our hope that is outside of any power that seems to be prevalent today. A hope that is greater and bigger because it's overcome death. If the resurrection is true, then we are freed from our sins. Catch that. See, the cross puts to death our sins, but the resurrection empowers us to live outside of those. The cross puts to death the power that it has, but the resurrection shows us that life is fuller without the bondage of those sins. Next week, we're going to be talking about that, actually. How it is that in the resurrection we once were, but we now are. That's just a little plug to ask you to come back. But here we are seeing that this actual truth, fact, the resurrection has a power that is immense. It is far beyond. Rachel Held Evans, who sadly passed away some years ago, wrote a book called Inspired about the word of God. And she deals with uh, different um, parables and stories and miracles. And she has a section about the resurrection. And, And as is happening in this church, people saying the resurrection might not be an actual event. Maybe it's just allegory or maybe it's just a hearsay or maybe it's just something that we put our hope again or it's a spiritual resurrection that Jesus had. Even today, that happens as well. There are those who would say, oh, it's a spiritual resurrection. It's an allegory. It's not a a real true life event that took place. And so Rachel Held Evans was at an event with a large group of different varied types of Christians. And someone was talking about how the resurrection is an allegory, how, how it just teaches us that there can be new life, that it grabs a hold of all these other sort of false things that are out there, but they didn't call them false that tell about what new life and how it comes. And she happened to be sitting next to another pastor who happened to be an African-American man. And he looked at her and he said, if the resurrection's not true, this is worthless. 
and there's no hope for me at all. And she pressed him and said, what do you mean? She said, if the resurrection is not true, then that means oppression wins because death reigns. But if the resurrection is true, oppression will cease and life will come. And so it is important for us to realize that it is in the resurrection that we are freed from the bondage of our sin, that we are freed from any oppression that we put upon ourselves or that others can put on us, that we're free from the oppression of the sorrow and the brokenness of this world. It is in new life that we are made complete and whole. Esau McCullough is a pastor in the States. He wrote an article about Easter just this week in the New York Times. They sometimes ask Christians to do that around Easter time. And in the middle of it, he says this, I've never been a big fan of hope. It's a demanding emotion that insists on changing you. Hope pulls you out of yourself and into the world, forcing you to believe more is possible. Hate, he says, is a much less insistent master. I find it so amazing that he took hope instead of making the opposite despair, made the opposite hate. Hate is a much less insistent master. It asks you only to loathe. It is quite happy to have you to itself and doesn't ask you to go anywhere. See, when we believe that the resurrection is not a true event, when we hold that it could be something spiritual or out there, then it loses its power that it possesses. And in fact, it loses the ability to give us hope. But our hope is sure because it is real. And it can pass not just despair, because there is a right place for us to be in despair. Listen, the world is broken and chaotic. The world is filled with sickness. The world is filled with hurts. And so despair is a proper response to that when we see it. However, hate is not. Hatred for the world or hatred for those who have inflicted that pain on us. Hatred for those who are other. And it is in the resurrection and the resurrection alone that we have hope that battles that. Esau McCullough goes on to say that the indestructibility of hope might be the central and most radical claim of Easter. That three days after Jesus was killed, he returned to his disciples physically and that, he made, and that made all the difference. Easter then is not a metaphor for new beginnings. It is about encountering the person who despite every disappointment we experience with ourselves or with the world, gives us the reason to carry on. How amazing it is then that we can set into this place of resurrection hope, that it is firm and solid, not because of our own belief in it or not because we've figured it out, but because the truth of it resonates throughout all of history, grabbing hold of us and bringing us into a place of hope and releasing us from the bondage of this broken world. 
And it's in that moment that we can begin to look out and say, how do I live a life that is filled with this resurrection hope? How do I move then into the encounters that I have in my own suffering and the suffering of others? Then we quickly know that we believe that because of this hope, we can love more deeply. We can care more compassionately. We can overcome oppression that comes. And so we walk together. We move as one body, the risen Christ in this world today, coming along with those who are near us and far away from us, bringing them into a place of wholeness that can only be found in Christ's deep, steadfast love. Another pastor friend, well, he's not a friend of mine. He's actually a friend of Andy, David Cassidy. Someday I want to meet him. He tweeted, which not often can you find really great things on Twitter, but he tweeted this about resurrection. Resurrection means that 67 plus Pakistani Christians murdered for their faith during an Easter celebration at a park will live even though they die because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection means that the martyrs at Lahore Uh, are going to get their suicide bomb bodies back in glory one day when perishable is clothed with the imperishable and the mortal the immortal. And then he says, come Lord Jesus. Resurrection means that evil, terror, violence, and death have an expiration date. Resurrection is not a peacetime truth for occasional feel-good religious nostalgia. Just as a side note, that's what kind of upsets me with places that do photo booths and stuff for Easter. That's cool. I mean, that's all right. But resurrection is not a peacetime truth for occasional feel-good religious nostalgia. The resurrection is a wartime truth for every day. Tear-smeared, blood-stained allegiance. To Jesus. You might think it might be easier to hold that the resurrection is not an actual truth account. You might find that in that it might be easier to believe all this other mystical stuff is just sort of allegory or, or helpful things. And so I can get Jesus as a good guy that sets a good example and that if I live my life kind of close to the way he lived it, the world will probably be better. But if that's what you're holding as is the resurrection, it is neutered and it is failing and it is weak. Because in the world that you and I live in, the world that we're walking in, the things that we experience and know to be true in this world, we don't need an allegory. We need a risen Savior. We need a God who is so powerful that he puts to death Death. And it is only in that truth that we abide in his steadfast love, knowing that in our brokenness we are made whole because of his holiness and hope, not against all hope, but in deepest hope that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray for us.
God, you are holy and mighty and true. In your power, you have risen Jesus. You have made him the firstborn so that we can walk in that. Father, it is in that that we hold this truth and we hold on to it, believing and knowing that you've joined us together so that we can remind each other of this. That in your resurrection, we have what we need to trust, to follow, and to love you and others until you come. It's in your name, Jesus. We pray these things. If there's anything that's been said that's not from you, let it burn up and go away. Amen.